Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hello. Today is the 16th of February, 2022, and the 15th day of the Hebrew month of Adar Aleph. This is Leah Roni welcoming you to news from the Torah. Today's Torah portion, Kitisa, is actually very central to the Torah. It tells the horrible story of the sin of the golden calf. Just think about it. Moses and the entire Jewish people witnessed revelation. God literally spoke to the Jewish people and they heard him and they saw amazing miracles and amazing sights. And God gave the Jewish people the Ten Commandments and Moses walked up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God. The Ten Commandments were literally written in stone by God with amazing miracles. So after 40 days on Mount Sinai, Moses walks down, as he walks down the mountain with the tablets, he sees the people of Israel engage in the lowest of the low of behavior, idol worship, looking at a golden calf and saying, this is your God, O Israel. How could that be? How can people sink so low so fast? How can we go from inspiration and enlightenment and a relationship with God to idol worship and forgetting all about God. And what went wrong there? How could God give us Torah twice, once for this amazing, inspiring event, and the second time in the quiet, in the whisper, as the Torah says? So today we will be talking about this two-tablet experience, how our entire life is actually a two-tablet experience, where things happen with a bang and inspiration, and then they need to happen a second time around, quietly. And why do we have this plan A, plan B kind of reality all the time? And what does it tell us about life and what's normal? And at the last piece of this show, I would like to talk about Russia and Ukraine, how that affects our life, about biblical prophecies related to that, and the lesson for us as we look towards a better and brighter future. So stay on. We will be right back after these messages for a very interesting and exciting show. I'll see you on the other side. Hello, I am Walter Bingham. If you want to hear the news behind the news and the true perspective on world affairs, then The Walter Bingham File is the program for you. We bring you interviews with the movers and shakers, political commentaries, and on-the-spot reports of events as they happen. All here every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Israel Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And it's all archived on our website. Make it a date. Welcome back. So for this segment, I would like to read a beautiful essay that I came across on Chabad.org. 
It is written by Rabbi Aaron Loshak, and his question is, were the first tablets a mistake? So I'm going to read it word for word because it's really beautiful and doesn't need any of my commentary. So this is what Rabbi Loshak has to say. When I was in yeshiva, there were an often repeated anecdote that went something like this. Imagine a bonfire, a raging, roaring flame, licking the sky and sending billows of smoke all around. Then you stop feeding it and it starts to die down. At first, it reduces only slightly, but eventually, as time goes on and you continue to deny it any fuel, it becomes a small crackle and ultimately purges out. So it is with life. When you're young, you can often be very spiritual, very pious, and very naive. And that's a good thing. Why? Because as you get older, you're bound to cool off. Life happens, you get distracted, and before long, the heat, quote-unquote, of your youth is all but forgotten. It is here that the metaphor kicks in. If you start out with a raging bonfire, chances are you'll be left with at least some sort of a smolder by middle age, down to the finish line. Even when you stop feeding your fire, there will still be something left. But if you never feed it in the first place, well, then you'll petter out very quickly. What was plan A? Parshat Kitisat tells the dramatic and tra- tragic story of the sin of the golden calf. Just days after the Jews witnessed the most spectacular godly revelation on record, they sin to catastrophic proportions. As a result, the tablets are destroyed, and only after intense negotiation with God does Moses secure forgiveness as a second set of tablets. This time around, the ceremony was much different. Whereas the first set came along with thunder, lightning, and munch palm, these were given quietly, without fanfare. This was a deliberate change, as Rashi points out. Since the first tablets were accompanied by loud noises, sounds, and with a multitude, the evil eye affected them. Our conclusion is that there is nothing better than modesty. Rashi's reasoning immediately raises the obvious question. Why, then, were the first set of given with such fanfare? Did God only figure out the advantage of modesty after plan A went so horribly awry? That seems unlikely. So why go with pomp if modesty is so much better? Well, plan B is only after plan A. The answer is that plan A really was a good plan, and it remains that way. Moreover, plan B is only good as a second option, but not as the first. Let's explain that. Take a look at Abraham, the first Jew. He was brash and bold about his beliefs, spreading them far and wide, going down in history as the father of monotheism. Famously, he would provide wayfarers in the desert with food and drink and then teach them to thank the God who really provided for them. The Torah says Abraham converted the men and Sarah converted the women, we are told. The power couple had a whole factory going on in the Mesopotamian desert. Apparently, they didn't get Rashi's memo. And that's because a modest and timid approach is great, but only after the thunder and lightning. Abraham and Sarah were at the beginning of the process, so, so they needed to be operate loud and hot. This way, when they would eventually start cooling off, it wouldn't die out. When it came to giving the Torah, the same pattern occurred. It started off loud and proud. 
with thunder and lightning and God's presence over the entire world. Not a bird chirped, not a cow mooed when the Torah was given. So powerful was the impact. The Jewish people were on board as well. They were on a spiritual high, full of the fire and passion of their newly minted relationship with God. It was brash, bold, and beautiful. But as heights tends to, it wore off very quickly. And sadly, the people sinned with the golden calf. At this point, the passionate fire was barely a smoldering ember. It was time to resort to plan B, something quieter and more sustainable. And so the second tablets were delivered without fanfare, for there is nothing better than modesty. But this modesty is only healthy, sustainable, and nurturing, coming on the heels of bold passion. It's not as you can start off with a quiet, sustainable flame. With that approach, you'll never get anywhere. It's only when you have started off with a roaring fire that you can thereafter let it quiet to a steady crackle. Start out hot. So it is in life. The honeymoon phase is always the most passionate. Whether it's a spiritual or physical experience, more often than not, we start off hot out of the gate. Beginning can be the start of a longer trajectory of life. In a romantic relationship, for example, beginning is the very often the starting point when the knot is tied. On a spiritual journey of discovery, say you've discovered Judaism later in life, the beginning is often those first days and months of wonder. But it is not limited to that. Beginning can be the start of the day when you're fresh and inspired, such that your morning prayers are impassioned and lively. By the time your day is half through, your afternoon prayers are barely pulling their weight on whatever leftover sputtering flames you can muster. Or you sign up for a new parenting course, and in the beginning you're so fired up and committed to change that your kids look at you with skepticism and wonder if you've gone mad. But then it starts to wear off and you're yelling and threatening them again. Hopefully not as much. This is all normal. Such is life. It starts out hot and then it cools off. So remember the truth of the bonfire and the message of the two tablet sequence. Start off very hot. At those beginning stages, don't worry too much about being tempered and sophisticated. Don't get too concerned that you are being a fanatic and not sufficiently objective. Just go all in and stoke those flames into a raging inferno. Why? Because it's going to cool off. That is almost guaranteed. So if you manage to bring things to a fever pitch, you'll be left with some semblance of healthy inspiration later on. If not, you'll be left with nothing. And who wants to get stuck with nothing? I love this beautiful essay because it really explains the reason why we have a two-tablet world. And everything in this world really works on the two-tablet sequence. The first time around, things go fast, things go smooth, things work well, and we're so inspired, and we're so hot, and we're so into it, and we're so passionate, and we have this vision. And usually when you try to do something the first time, it works. It's called beginner's luck. But then there's always a crisis. And after the crisis, you now have to do the work on your own. You don't have that inspiration, you don't have that spark in the eyes, you're not as hot, you're not as into it. But here is where the commitment really shows. Are you going to do the hard work? Are you going to stretch that extra mile? Are you going to stay with the task and on task 
even when you don't feel that commitment. And the same thing happens in marriage. Most marriages start off as a honeymoon and everything is, you know, beautiful and hot and inspiring and there's so much love and so the smiles and the spark in the eye until the first fight or the second fight or the third fight or the tenth fight. And then things start wearing off and now is the time for work. You don't have that inspiration anymore and this is when you understand that marriage is hard work and you have to invest and it's hard work because you have to change from the inside to be able to create the kind of relationship and commitment where the two of you can work together. So this is the story of the two-tablet world. It's not a mistake. God didn't make a mistake in the fact that the first tablets were given was all this fanfare. This is how it has to be. God always shows you where you can go to, the potential, the beautiful peak experience first, and then he takes that peak experience away so now you can work towards it with your own blood, sweat, and tears. That's the idea. Because if you didn't have that peak experience in the beginning, you wouldn't know what you're working towards. And you also wouldn't know what it feels like. And you wouldn't have the inspiration to work towards it. And I'll finish this segment off with one last metaphor. Imagine that you go into a restaurant and you try an amazing, delicious chef special. It's so amazing. And now you go back home and you try to recreate it. That first time that you went to the restaurant, you just got it on a plate in front of you and the chef made it. And it was amazing. But without knowing the taste, you can never now recreate it in your kitchen. In the kitchen, you'll have to work hard and make many mistakes and try over and over and over again until you will get to that final product. But without tasting the first time, you would never know what to work towards. And this is how the entire world is set up. God gives us a taste of something amazing and beautiful. He gives us a preview, so to speak, with this passionate, fired-up experience. And now he takes it away so we can create it with our own toil, with our own work, with our own inspiration and perspiration. And we think that something is wrong with that, but actually nothing is wrong with that. That's exactly how God planned the world. And this is exactly how the world works. So don't get upset when the inspiration disappears. Don't get upset when the honeymoon wears off. Don't get upset when you're supposed to put in the work to get to that result. This is exactly how God created the world. And this is the big takeaway from the two-tablet experience of the Jewish people in the desert. Stay tuned, and we will talk about more lessons from the Golden Calf story and the two-tablet experience. Right after we come back, we will talk about the purpose of our soul coming down into the world, as we can understand it from this week's store portion, and the idea of the Golden Calf and the crisis, the breakthrough, what we are understanding in this week's Parsha. So stay put, don't go anywhere, we'll be right back. Hi, 
Hi, everyone. This is Andrea Simento from Jerusalem inviting you to drop everything and join me on my show. Pull up a chair. We'll visit this week's quirky stories, meet fabulous guests, and discover my Israel. Together, we'll laugh, shout, and explain the topics that make us say, hey, we've got to talk about that. So get comfortable and pull up a chair with me, Andrea Simento, every Thursday on Israel News Talk Radio. Okay, welcome back for the third and final part of this episode. And I really cannot leave this show today without talking about Russia and Ukraine. As you probably know, Russia has built up a massive amount of troops on the Ukrainian border, and it is poised to strike. And there is a lot of uncertainty right now about the future of Ukraine and whether Russia will go to war. Now, there are approximately 75,000 to 100,000 Jews right now in Ukraine. And just this past week, I was at a session in the Knesset about how to help this population because uh, Russian and Ukrainian relations can go down really, really fast. And a little thing can really trigger a war, even the parties don't mean to have one. So in the past few weeks, people have been bringing up an interesting aspect of this war, and that is a prophecy or a prediction from the Vilna Gaon from the 18th century about the fact that when the Russian Navy passes through Bosphorus, it might be a signal that Mashiach is coming. And exactly last week on Tuesday, a group of detachment of at least eight large landing ships of the Russian army began passing through the Bosphorus and Dardanelles Straits, transitioning from the stations in the Mediterranean to the Black Sea. So these developments have sparked a lot of fear in some people because they could be a sign of the prophesied quote-unquote Gog or Magog war that our tradition says will happen before the times of Mashiach. Now we have a tradition that there could be three wars that are part of this Gogomagog period, and um, some people are um, referring to this teaching from Rabbi Liao of Vilna to say that this Russian aggression could be a sign that um, Mashiach is about to come. So when you hear that the Russians have captured the city of Crimea, you should know that the times of the Messiah have started and his steps are being heard. Velnagallon told his followers just before his death in 1797. And when you hear that the Russians have reached the city of Constantinople, that's today's Istanbul, you should put on your Shabbat clothes and don't take them off because it means that the Mashiach is about to come any minute. The Velnagallon student, Rav Chaim of Volozhin, added, when the ships of the Kingdom of Russia crossed the Derdalians, you should dress in Shabbat clothes because this means the arrival of the Mashiach is closed. So over the past few weeks, I've been talking to a few people, and I'm hearing some fear. Certain people who are into biblical prophecies and messianic prophecies and try to create a connection between our daily events and biblical prophecies have been concerned, and I've heard these um, sentiments from some people. And Rabbi Shmuel Eliyahu, the chief rabbi of Tzfat and the son of the late Rabbi Mordechai Eliyahu, the preeminent Kabbalist of our times, and the former chief rabbi of Israel, talked about it. 
And he was asked, actually, if this war could be the start of the Gog and Magog war that is in the Bible. So he quoted his father, who said that this is a question that his father has been asked numerous times. And he said that actually the Gog and Magog war does not have to happen, and certainly does not have to happen in this scary way that it is described in the Bible. So first of all, we need to understand that there's a big principle in the study of the Bible, and that is that negative prophecies do not need to happen. There's a discussion about our sages about prophecy. Can God ever cancel prophecy? Can a true prophet prophesy something and that will not come to pass? And the answer is yes. God can decide to revert a bad prophecy. For example, something could be prophesied as a punishment, but if people repent, that prophecy can be repealed. But the good prophecies are never repealed because that way we would lose our belief in prophecy. So to sum it up, good positive prophecies have to happen and negative prophecies do not have to happen. So although Bible does prophesize this Gog and Magog war that will happen before Mashiach comes, since it's a negative prophecy, it doesn't have to happen or it doesn't have to happen in exactly this way. So when this government came up in the summer, several people quoted a prophecy that the non-Jews will um, rule over the land of Israel for nine months. And it could very well be that right now with Minister Abbas, who is an Arab, bailing the linchpin in the present government and getting such huge amounts of money from the government, and he's really the Prime Minister of Israel de facto, and in fact several people have referred to him as the de facto Prime Minister of Israel because if he decides to go, this whole government falls apart. This could be a way to fulfill that prophecy that non-Jews will rule over Israel. So in a similar way, the prophecies about Gog and Magog did not have to be a real war. Now, the Gog and Magog prophecies are quite scary. They talk about the whole world coming to siege Jerusalem and half of the people going out into exile. And the real question that is asked is that, does this have to happen? So the answer that Rabbi Eliyahu gave, the previous Rabbi Eliyahu, Rabbi Mordechai Eliyahu, that it doesn't have to happen and certainly doesn't have to happen this way. It's also very possible that Second World War was the Gog and Magog War. And we also see this in a different place. When Abraham had a covenant with God, God told Abraham that his sons, the Jewish people, would go into Egypt for 400 years. However, in the end, they were in Egypt only for 210 years. And biblical commentaries find different ways to count the years from the birth of Yitzchak to start the count of those 400 years. So we see that although on face value God told Avram that Jews will be in Egypt for 400 years, in reality the prophecy was changed and they were in Egypt only for 210 years. And the reason for that is that if they were to stay in Egypt longer, the Jewish people would actually be lost and would not be salvageable anymore. But our point is that biblical prophecies do not have to happen exactly the way they are written down, especially when those are negative prophecies. And as we said, it is also very possible that World War II was Gog and Magog, and since it was so horrible, it is possible that it actually took the place of several of such wars. Now, there are two paths 
for redemption to come. There's the past that's called Bi'ita, and it's time, and then there's this path that's called Achishena, and that's going to happen fast. There are basically two paths for human history to unfold, the regular path and the express checkout lane. So it all depends on our actions. The Gog and Magog war and all of those predictions are the regular path that the world has to go through to get to where it has to get to. But it is very possible that through our actions we can change history and make things happen faster at a different pace. And also things can happen but in a different garment. Just like we said, it could be that the non-Jews will rule over Israel or it could be that this will be one non-Jew who becomes a linchpin in a government and he is de facto ruling Israel but we don't really feel it as we would feel that would be Um. Uh, foreign rule. Now, another thing that Rabbi Liao said, the fact that the Torah promises that the world seeking Jerusalem will be hit by a plague does not have to happen in Israel. It is actually possible that each nation will be hit by a plague in its own place. So we have actually seen this happen over the past two years. There has been this plague that has been hitting the world, and it's been hitting every per person and every people in its own place. And yes, there has been a growing amount of anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism and attacks on Jews and attacks on Israel and delegitimization of Israel. So that could be a siege. It doesn't have to be an actual physical siege in which um, the non-Jewish world would come and siege on Jerusalem physically. It could be a mental and emotional, a political siege that is expressed through anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism and anti-Jewish sentiment in the world. So the point that I'm trying to get to is that there is no reason to be afraid. And I know that people, especially in the Christian world, who follow Israel and who uh, place a lot of emphasis on Israel and see it as a step in redemption, get very caught up in biblical prophecies and it could create a lot of fear. And I've heard that from people. But things don't have to happen this way. And the important things to remember is that God is not out to get us. The way you will look at biblical prophecies, at the Bible, and at everything in Judaism actually depends on the kinds of glasses you wear. Do you wear the kind of glasses that see God and his world as a beautiful, loving place that is here for you to become the best you you can be? And the challenges of this world, as we discussed, uh, an opportunity for you to grow and learn and become a better person. And through this positive, loving outlook, you create a positive, loving experience. Or do you wear the kind of glasses that see everything as a war and it's God and other people out to get you? And you are a pessimist and you expect bad things to happen. If that is going to be your outlook, that is the reality you're going to create for yourself. So when God gives us prophecies in his world, he's really challenging us. How do you want to read this? Do you want to read this with a positive eye? Do you want to read this as a great thing that can happen, as a prelude for redemption from a Shia that can happen in a fairly painless way or the least painless way that can possibly be? Or do you have the need to make everything a trauma and a tragedy? And that's really a choice. And this is where our two-tablet world, the one that we discussed in the first two parts of this episode, come in. Yes, there are many challenges. Yes, there are wars. Yes, there are things we need to take on. 
head on. But the point is that it's always a road to better, higher, more beautiful reality. So with this, I'd like to end this episode and wish you an amazing week. Uh, We're all praying for the peace in Ukraine for Jews and not Jews alike. Russia should back off and go back to its place. I'll see you next week. Love you. Leia. Shalom, I'm Leah Aharoni. Join me on my show, News from the Torah. Each Sunday, we'll use the weekly Torah portion as a prism for understanding the news today. Listen to News from the Torah to gain clarity about the times we're living in and to understand your own spiritual path in the process. News from the Torah every Sunday on Israel News Talk Radio. Okay, welcome back for the third and final part of this episode. And I really cannot leave this show today without talking about Russia and Ukraine. As you probably know, Russia has built up a massive amount of troops on the Ukrainian border, and it is poised to strike, and there is a lot of uncertainty right now about the future of Ukraine and whether Russia will go to war. Now, there are approximately 75,000 to 100,000 Jews right now in Ukraine. And just this past week, I was at a session in the Knesset about how to help this population because uh, Russian and Ukrainian relations can go down really, really fast. And a little thing can really trigger a war, even the parties don't mean to have one. So in the past few weeks, people have been bringing up an interesting aspect of this war, and that is a prophecy or a prediction from the Vilna Gaon from the 18th century about the fact that when the Russian Navy passes through Bosphorus, it might be a signal that Mashiach is coming. And exactly last week on Tuesday, a group of detachment of at least eight large landing ships of the Russian army began passing through the Bosphorus and Dardanelles Straits, transitioning from the stations in the Mediterranean to the Black Sea. So these developments have sparked a lot of fear in some people because they could be a sign of the prophesied quote-unquote Gog or Magog war that our tradition says will happen before the times of Mashiach. Now we have a tradition that there could be three wars that are part of this Gogomagog period, and um, some people are um, referring to this teaching from Rabbi Liao of Vilna to say that this Russian aggression could be a sign that um, Mashiach is about to come. So when you hear that the Russians have captured the city of Crimea, you should know that the times of the Messiah have started and his steps are being heard. Vilna Gaon told his followers just before his death in 1797. And when you hear that the Russians have reached the city of Constantinople, that's today's Istanbul, you should put on your Shabbat clothes and don't take them off because it means that the Mashiach is about to come any minute. The Vilna Gaon student, Rav Chaim of Volozhin, added, when the ships of the Kingdom of Russia crossed the Derdalians, you should dress in Shabbat clothes because this means the arrival of the Mashiach is closed. 
So over the past few weeks, I've been talking to a few people and I'm hearing some fear. Certain people who are into biblical prophecies and messianic prophecies and try to create a connection between our daily events and biblical prophecies have been concerned. And I've heard these um, sentiments from some people. And Rabbi Shmuel Eliyahu, the chief rabbi of Tzfat and the son of the late Rabbi Mordechai Eliyahu, the preeminent Kabbalist of our times, and the former chief rabbi of Israel talked about it. And he was asked, actually, if this war could be the start of the Gog and Magog war that is in the Bible. So he quoted his father, who said that this is a question that his father has been asked numerous times. And he said that actually the Gog and Magog war does not have to happen. And certainly it does not have to happen in this scary way that it is described in the Bible. So first of all, we need to understand that there's a big principle in the study of the Bible, and that is that negative prophecies do not need to happen. There's a discussion about our sages about prophecy. Can God ever cancel prophecy? Can a true prophet prophesy something and that will not come to pass? And the answer is yes. God can decide to revert a bad prophecy. For example, something could be prophesied as a punishment, but if people repent, that prophecy can be repealed. But the good prophecies are never repealed, because that way we would lose our belief in prophecy. So to sum it up, good positive prophecies have to happen, and negative prophecies do not have to happen. So although Bible does prophesize this Gog and Magog war that will happen before Mashiach comes, since it's a negative prophecy, it doesn't have to happen, or it doesn't have to happen in exactly this way. So when this government came up in the summer, several people quoted a prophecy that the non-Jews will um, rule over the land of Israel for nine months. And it could very well be that right now with Minister Abbas, who is an Arab, bailing the linchpin in the present government and getting such huge amounts of money from the government, and he's really the Prime Minister of Israel de facto. And in fact, several people have referred to him as the de facto Prime Minister of Israel because if he decides to go, this whole government falls apart. This could be a way to fulfill that prophecy that non-Jews will rule over Israel. So in a similar way, the prophecies about Gog and Magog did not have to be a real war. Now, the Gog and Magog prophecies are quite scary. They talk about the whole world coming to siege Jerusalem and half of the people going out into exile. And the real question that is asked is that, does this have to happen? So the answer that Rabbi Eliyahu gave, the previous Rabbi Eliyahu, Rabbi Mordechai Eliyahu, that it doesn't have to happen and certainly doesn't have to happen this way. It's also very possible that Second World War was the Gog and Magog War. And we also see this in a different place. When Abraham had a covenant with God, God told Abraham that his sons, the Jewish people, would go into Egypt for 400 years. However, in the end, they were in Egypt only for 210 years. And biblical commentaries find different ways to count the years from the birth of Yitzchak 
to start the count of those 400 years. So we see that although on face value God told Avram that Jews will be in Egypt for 400 years, in reality the prophecy was changed and they were in Egypt only for 210 years. And the reason for that is that if they were to stay in Egypt longer, the Jewish people would actually be lost and would not be salvageable anymore. But our point is that biblical prophecies do not have to happen exactly the way they are written down, especially when those are negative prophecies. And as we said, it is also very possible that World War II was Gog and Magog, and since it was so horrible, it is possible that it actually took the place of several of such wars. Now, there are two paths for redemption to come. There's the path that's called Bi'ita, and it's time, and then there's the path that's called Achishena, and that's going to happen fast. There are basically two paths for human history to unfold, the regular path and the express checkout lane. So it all depends on our actions. The Gogomagog war and all of those predictions are the regular path that the world has to go through to get to where it has to get to. But it is very possible that through our actions we can change history and make things happen faster at a different pace. And also things can happen but in a different garment. Just like we said, it could be that the non-Jews will rule over Israel. Or it could be that this will be one non-Jew who becomes a linchpin in a government and he is de facto ruling Israel but we don't really feel it as we would feel that would be um, uh, foreign rule. Now another thing that Rabbi Liao said, the fact that the Torah promises that the world seeking Jerusalem will be hit by a plague does not have to happen in Israel. It is actually possible that each nation will be hit by a plague in its own place. So we have actually seen this happen over the past two years. There has been this plague that has been hitting the world and it's been hitting every per person and every people in its own place. And yes, there has been a growing amount of anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism and attacks on Jews and attacks on Israel and delegitimization of Israel. So that could be a siege. It doesn't have to be an actual physical siege in which um, the non-Jewish world would come and siege on Jerusalem physically. It could be a mental and emotional, a political siege that is expressed through anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism and anti-Jewish sentiment in the world. So the point that I'm trying to get to is that there is no reason to be afraid. And I know that people, especially in the Christian world, who follow Israel and who uh, place a lot of emphasis on Israel and see it as a step in redemption, get very caught up in biblical prophecies and it could create a lot of fear. And I've heard that from people. But things don't have to happen this way. And the important things to remember is that God is not out to get us. The way you will look at biblical prophecies, at the Bible, and at everything in Judaism actually depends on the kinds of glasses you wear. Do you wear the kind of glasses that see God and his world as a beautiful, loving place that is here for you to become the best you you can be? And the challenges of this world, as we discussed, uh, an opportunity for you to grow and learn and become a better person. And through this positive, loving outlook, you create a positive, loving experience. Or do you wear the kind of glasses that see everything as a war, and it's God and other people out to get you? 
and you are a pessimist and you expect bad things to happen. If that is going to be your outlook, that is the reality you're going to create for yourself. So when God gives us prophecies in his world, he's really challenging us. How do you want to read this? Do you want to read this with a positive eye? Do you want to read this as a great thing that can happen, as a prelude for redemption from Mashiach that can happen in a fairly painless way or the least painless way that can possibly be? Or do you have the need to make everything a trauma and a tragedy? And that's really a choice. And this is where our two-tablet world, the one that we discussed in the first two parts of this episode, come in. Yes, there are many challenges. Yes, there are wars. Yes, there are things we need to take on, head on. But the point is that it's always a road to a better, higher, more beautiful reality. So with this, I'd like to end this episode. I wish you an amazing week. Uh, We're all praying for the peace in Ukraine for Jews and not Jews alike. Russia should back off and go back to its place. I'll see you next week. Love you. Leia. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.